saying that we were going to get into the movies. Yeah, and I'm only going to get into a few of them because there were way too goddamn many for me to really be interested in telling you this clone version or this clone version in the early studio system. It, it's a good metric to know in a, in a story arc, where should I be? Well, there's Beast, I should step over here. Uh, yeah. Some point, at some point, I'm gonna have to sit down with you, like, and force you, like, pump you full of coffee and be like, no, okay, look. Uh, and are swiftly and brutally put down by the Minutemen who use bayonets to get their point across. Well done there. I'm good, Damien. And I'm also glad that I got your name right this time. I apologize for that one TikTok video. Men of this generation wound up serving a whole lot of them as a percentage of the population because of the war, because of a whole lot of other stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and actually, in his case, it was pre-war. But, but you know. I was joking. Did he seriously join the American Navy? He did. Fuck it. Where we connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history and English teacher here in Northern California. And uh, I am, of course, also a dad. And uh, today was a kind of a dad milestone. Uh, We wound up uh, starting the process of reorganizing my son's bedroom uh, because he has been uh, keeping his pajamas dry for the last 10 days or so overnight. And so uh, he has now, uh, he's getting promoted to uh, what we're calling his big boy bed. Uh, so the the uh, Ikea bed that he has been sleeping in uh, has the option of being flipped uh, essentially upside down and lofted. So we lofted his bed and got a toy storage cabinet that is going to double as the stairs that he'll climb to get up into it. And uh, we're all very excited about it. I'm I'm oddly enough at nearly 50 years old, uh, a little envious because when I was a kid, I really wanted a bunk bed, but my mother was too overprotective to even consider allowing me to have my bed lofted. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so, uh, making sure that my son gets that since I didn't. Um, and he's also very excited because his room is going to be redecorated. The, uh, the stuff on the walls, uh, the jungle stuff is coming down. It's all going to be hot wheels stuff. So he's very excited about that. So that's what I've got going on. Um, How about you? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I am a high school U.S. history teacher up here in Northern California area. Um, And uh, the the only real news that I've got is that my son uh, has been planning for weeks and weeks now uh, the design of a zoo. He's gotten back into the zoo design. Right, right. He's been planning the design of a zoo. And last week, while I took uh, his sister to an archery lesson, Oh, she's cool. doing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, while I took her to that, uh, I asked him if he wanted to come, and he said, "No, I'd rather stay home." I said, "Great. Uh, what are you going to do?" And he says, "Oh, I'll, uh, I was going to design my zoo." Said, okay, cool. I said, um, "No raging parties. 
no inviting people over <laughs> and having like huge like drinking contests. And he's like, nice. are you serious? I was like, yes, William, I'm serious. The number one concern I have is that you're going to invite people <laughs> over clandestinely to have a drinking party <laughs> at a house that has no alcohol. <laughs> and he looks at me, I'm like, no, I'm not serious. Like, have fun See, with this your is, zoo. Yeah, this, this, is, this is how we can tell uh, where you and your mm-hmm. son sit on 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 the on the spectrum compared yeah. to one another yeah uh because <laughs> i'm like you know yeah <laughs> so like you know since you since you speak sarcasm i i i start to say as a second language and i go no that that might be your first language yeah most kids started you know. singing before they started talking i think i started like with you know hellish rebuke yeah um yeah, but, you 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 started out smarming off and yeah, like yeah, yeah. But uh, but it, he showed me today uh yeah. his zoo. I saw. I told him just like first off, let's see a map of it and the thing mm-hmm. is enormous. I said, okay, show me two regions in your zoo. And so we go. went through Asia and we went through Australia, parts of Australia. Yeah, okay, so and, he's doing doing organized and, by continent. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And it okay. is. It is one hell of a plan. He's telling me all about these animals that I had no idea even existed. I'm asking okay. questions about them, like, "Oh, what's their habitat mm. like? What do they eat? What do they do?" And he's just firing it off. Like, these are animals I can't even tell you the names of now. Pretty and gosh darn he's cool. Like, he's like, "Yeah, oh, they're diurnal. They eat mostly berries. Uh, they live in isolation, but you know, the mothers uh, raise the babies for this long." And I'm just like, "Better living through video games." <laughs> So, so that was actually going to be my next question. Is he playing Zoo Tycoon or yes, any of those? Yes. Okay. Um, okay. And I know that it was reviewed poorly in 2013 when it first came out. Um, and I understand why, but it has been nothing but a delight in this house. So well, that's good. Yeah. Definitely Very worth cool. The free download. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. So anyway, that's, right. uh, that's, that's what I've got going on. Um, nice. Tonight actually is the first time we're going to do this. This will certainly not be the last time we do this. No, indeed. Um, but this is the first time we're going to cover a, a subject that I've always found kind of fun. Um, mm-hmm. Despite the fact that I don't care that much about music, I always get a kick out of when the cover is better than the original. Yeah. And so I asked you to prepare some and I've prepared yeah. some and yeah. we are now doing the episode where covers that surpassed their originals. Yes. So, if you don't mind, I would like to yeah, start. Certainly. Um, and I would like to start with a shot across the bow of all who love music. Yeah. Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix. Okay. As covered by The Cure. Really? Really. Okay. And part of me wonders, should uh, we do pauses to listen so that we can discuss? The I audience think, will hear that. We'll yeah, I, I think I think I think that's gonna be important because okay. you say that and I'm like, uh right. wait a minute. Okay. Right. So let me just give you a little bit of background history and okay. then I yeah. will send you the link. Yeah, yeah. Um originally Jimi Hendrix described Purple Haze as a love song, which I was surprised. Okay. Um, and it was really his and his group's first single that they'd created themselves. Hey Joe was actually their first breakthrough single, but it wasn't yeah. one that they had written. That was actually something yeah. that they had covered. Um, and it was a song by Billy Roberts. Yeah. Um, Purple Haze happened because someone heard him experimenting with the opening riffs of Purple Haze. Okay. And they said, Oh, Jimmy, that's going to be a hit. Mm, um, yeah. 
it's it's very similar to how Sweet Child of Mine got started. Like okay, yeah. Slash was doing like a picking exercise, and and mm-hmm. I was like, oh wait, what is that? Yeah. Um, it was the first song recorded using a pedal that was designed specifically for Jimi Hendrix. I could have gone into the name of the pedal, but it would have meant just as much yeah. to me as me not saying it. Yeah. Um, but kind of cool. There's a pedal designed specifically for him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of you know you you know you've made it when people are like designing equipment for you to make yeah. cool new music. You know, um, the actual title and the theme of the song was uh, was from a sci-fi novel by Philip Jose Farmer titled Night of Light that Hendrix had read. It was written in the 50s. I don't quite know when Hendrix had written or had read it himself. But in there, they're t- describing this distant planet and there's a uh, sunspots and they, they are causing the sky to emit a purple haze. Oh, OK. All right. Now, the song lyrics themselves were a constant frustration for Hendrix. He had written like over a thousand different lyrics, um, largely because he was trying to incorporate his dreams into this song uh, okay. and you know that he was unable to reconcile this dream with that dream with this dream with this concept yeah well like yeah that. so he's constantly just pouring through and crossing out pouring through and crossing out um and uh he just couldn't get get enough of it together to make a coherent and self-contained song um and okay. so here's what he had to say on it he said quote you know the song we had named purple haze it had about a thousand, thousand words. I had it all written out. It was about going through this land, this mythical, uh, and then he says some other things, because that's what I like to do is to write a lot of mythical scenes, you know, like the history of the wars on Neptune. Nice. All right. Now, yeah. a lot of people, you know, they think Jimi Hendrix, they think Purple Haze, they think the Purple Acid at the Monterey uh, mm-hmm. Pop Festival. Jazz Festival, yeah. Yeah, it was not. Uh, in fact, um, Oswald, God, what's his last name? Mount Mosley? Um, no, I might be, uh, no, it's Oswald. <laughs> I know it's Oswald. I keep Mosley. I want to yeah. say Mosley was was the British fascist that right. we, whose name we couldn't remember <laughs> when we were with uh, Dr. Cruz. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So, but Oswald, uh, like Bowsley or something like that. It, it's something okay. similar. Um, but anyway, the guy who developed like the the generic brand LSD that okay. everybody was taking, he developed okay. a batch called uh, I think it was called Monterey Purple, and a lot of people are like ah, there it is. And oh hear, yeah, drug hear, reference, yeah, right. And actually, yeah. uh, Owsley. That's his name. Okay, Owsley. Okay. Owsley was like, no, no, because his whole point of his drug was like, it's it's not going to haze you out. It's going to focus opening the doors of perception. Yeah, Yeah, like you do. Yeah. Um, and Jimi Hendrix also never really talked about it being connected to drugs, but like the things that he's saying sound like he's on drugs, but it's it's never been a thing that has been connected to drugs, although people like to think so. It's just um, a psychopomp kind of kind of yeah. you know head trippy subconscious journey through the inner workings of your mind kind of right. song, which that. <laughs> but it's also a love song. Like, yeah. keep you know well, keep that yeah. thing in mind. So yeah. once the song got released, uh, Hendrix then came out and kind of codified what it was about. He said, "Quote: He he's talking about the song's protagonist likes this girl so much that he doesn't know what state he's in. You know." A sort of daze, I suppose. And that's what the song is all about. Okay. And this actually leans toward it being probably autobiographical 
because when Hendrix was in New York, he kind of had a relationship with a woman who tried to trap him in the relationship through the use of putting a voodoo curse on him, which he thought is what made him ill while he was there. Wow. Really? Yeah. yeah. And so, and if you start wow. to think about like his music and the use of the word voodoo, for instance, you know, voodoo child. Yeah. And yeah. Like that, like there's, there's a lot going on there. Um, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, man, so that, I thought, I, I thought my, my earlier relationships in my life were, were unhinged. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. 1960s All right. These approaches to voodoo. So, yeah. Um, hmm. So the, sh the the song had nothing to do with drugs or with the the landing zone flares in Vietnam that some people thought it did. Um, the Cures version um, was on a compilation album from 1993 called Stone Free, a tribute to Jimi Hendrix. Uh, oh, it right. it hit number two on the alternative charts and it came on the wave of their top charting album Wish. So this is like the apex of the Cures yeah of the Cures fame right yeah. Yeah. Um, they Friday I'm in love was on that album. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So having the Cure cover Hendrix in '93 when the nostalgia CD movement is really hitting big, right? Um, oh yeah, they the ads Doors were all over TV. Yeah. Yeah. The Doors double CD Best of the Doors. Um, yeah. Was selling big in 1990. Um, I'm trying to remember know. was was there a sometime around there? It was ninety ninety two or ninety four sometime around there. There was, um, wasn't that around the time that uh, the Rolling Stones were doing a tour? And that's somebody asked, That's always true. I want to say somebody, I, I want to say somebody asked Mick Jagger. Uh -huh. I, I think it was him, him who made the remark. They said, Are you, are you guys, you know, just, just, you know, coming out here, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to make another buck? And uh, whichever member of the band it was that responded said, "No, that's that's not us. That's the Who." <laughs> like in a in a truly remarkable stab below the belt. Like holy shit, man! Yeah. Um, well, but so I remember, like Stones around came that out time, with Lounge in '94. Okay. Um. So that might have been when they fired that car, okay. that shot across the bow because otherwise, um, okay. it would have been the Steel Wheels tour. Okay. So I don't know enough about the stones right. to tell you. So yeah. All right. Um, but so the nostalgia movement is in full swing and uh yeah, everything that is good about the Jimi Hendrix song, the cure literally just seems like they sidestepped it and then they improved upon it, I think. And I'm gonna pause here so that you can see this link. Oh. Okay, so having heard it now, uh you hear what I'm talking about when I say like it's kind of haunting and ephemeral. Yeah, like the very beginning with that kind of back and forth sound. You're you've got headphones on too, so it'll yeah. be even yeah, more yeah. effective. Yeah, yeah. So the so the binaural kind of kind yeah. of effect going on, um, and then the rest fading in with the beat. Right. Yeah. Um, the the centrality of the mm -hmm. drum, yes, is yeah. really a big, a big element there. Yeah. And what I what I find remarkable about mm -hmm. it is like <laughs> purple haze is is in in inarguably mm -hmm. like the, the original is like you you can hear jimi hendrix in every note of the yeah. guitar on yeah. that song it is 
that is that is him as an artist stepping out going okay um let me let me show you all just exactly what i'm capable of right well and, and it, they use his you know, riffs too they they do they yeah. do but what what i find what i find remarkable about it is it is still recognizably like the riffs are still recognizably the same mm -hmm. the same mm -hmm. but through the production choices and one of the things i noticed and and i don't know like if if jimmy had been alive longer mm -hmm. if if some kinds of, like if he might have gone back and changed some things like with the changes in technology and and the way that that production changed oh, the, the from... amount of effort that he put into the the recordings and the productions of his songs absolutely he would yeah absolutely because like purple haze itself i didn't really get into the nitty-gritty of that yeah, but it took hours and hours and hours of him like, okay, that didn't work. Let's try this other thing. That didn't. Yeah, work. Let's and and changing let's the balance. Let's lay this over and... this. Let's play this through yeah. this. Let's play this through this. Let's. Oh yeah. Let's let's record it at half speed and then speed it up to double speed so we get an extra octave out of it and then let's play it yeah. through headphones and then put those headphones through the. And it's just like Jesus Christ! Like it seems yeah. like such a boring, straightforward song, and I am going to say boring because it is kind of repetitive and. After the first verse of Hendrix's version, I'm like, okay, I get what he's going with, and and I'm kind of done. Um, yeah, but this one, I just think it had so much. I mean, Robert Smith's voice echoes in and out. It's as though yeah. his voice is the haze. Well, it's it's as though his voice is the haze. And the other thing is, in the Hendrix version, mm -hmm. his voice takes center stage. Center stage. Yes. In the in the Cure version, it's it's clearly there mm -hmm. but the way they've chosen to balance the levels out mm -hmm. it's his voice is much more ambient within yes within the rest of the song yeah and hendrix's hendrix's uh, uh version mm -hmm. hendrix's song mm -hmm. is is a a psychedelic head trip guitar odyssey mm -hmm. okay the cures version is much more ambient. Yeah. It is it is much more I think you may have already used the word hypnotic, but it is it is a mood piece. Yeah. It is it is very very much a mood piece. Mm -hmm. And it's it's nearly enough to make me a fan of the cure because <laughs> yeah. it's a song it's a song I recognize and like gives me a context for okay, this is what these guys do. Right. You know, um and they i think i think they did a really really good job of paying homage since it is a tribute it's on yeah. a tribute oh yeah you know, record i i think this is an example of them of them paying paying a really good tribute by saying this is a great song here's yeah and here's 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 what we can do with it it feels like you know that that TV show on Disney called Visions, where it's like eight different studios from around the world give us their idea of a Star Wars story. Yeah, it feels yeah. like one of those. You're like, okay, I see the Star Wars, but wow, you guys yeah. are and Peruvian I... uh, yeah. felt dolls. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. You know? So yeah, did you notice the energized sounds from uh, Scotty's transporter pad? Oh uh, no, I didn't. Yeah. I I didn't. I didn't recognize them, but now that you say that, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's okay. what that was. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So anyway, there's my first. Very um, cool. Thank you. Very uh, cool. What do you got? 
Well, uh, my first choice is uh, going to be uh, a bit more prosaic, okay. I guess. Um, and I'm going to, I have, I had another one listed first, but I'm going to open with, with my number two. Um, I'm going to talk about Hurt by Johnny Cash. Well, I guess I can cross that off the back of my list. <laughs> Covering Trent Reznor. <laughs> okay. Um, I might so, have a few quotes to add in. <laughs> okay. All right. So, yeah. But um, okay. I, I had not realized mm-hmm. that Reznor had actually been uh, hesitant to yes. let to let Cash uh, cover the song because he was afraid that it might be gimmicky. Right. But um, Cash... Johnny Cash is a prime example of um a an archetype within within Christianity of a a repentant sinner who keeps fucking up and keeps keeps making amends and keeps trying to make amends and keeps falling short but keeps struggling like constantly keeps struggling and and the the bad choices ever like in his rendition of this song uh like so so Reznor's Reznor's original version of the song is uh you know it 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 has emotional emotional uh, there is, there's very strong emotion involved. Oh yeah. Um, it is, it is an anthem of, I, I am going to, I'm going to hurt you. Like, I know that I'm going to hurt you, but I want, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to, but I know I'm going to do it. And, and from Trent Reznor, like, okay, man, that's, that's kind of heavy. Well, then you get, Johnny Cash, who was in failing health, I want to say he was 71 years old mm-hmm. uh, when he recorded it. He was in failing health at the time. And when it's coming from a man who had been through rehab as many times as Johnny Cash, right. who had made as many mistakes in the most important relationship in his life with mm-hmm. his wife, June Carter Cash, and yeah. and the whole saga of yeah. that story and like all of that life experience and all of the weight of all of that and the, and the level of, of absolute raw, like gut wrenching vulnerability yeah, that he brings to it adds a level of confession. Yeah. And it? there's like Trent Reznor's version uh, is off of Downward Spiral from 1994. Yeah. Um, it's not the best song on that album. No. Uh, it, it, I think, it was like the third single that would come off of it. Um, that sounds right. It's, yeah. It's buried amongst other songs that I think were far better and far more emotionally appealing. Um, Hurt, Coming from Trent Reznor. Yeah. And yeah. But Hurt is absolutely, he's really, really sad. He's despondent. It it feels like parts of him are stripped away. Yeah. When Johnny Cash sings it, he takes hurt to a whole new level of pain. Like yeah. he's not just parts of him aren't just stripped away. He's in the pool of his yeah. pain. Yeah. He, he is. Yeah. Yeah. 
there is there is so much regret like like you can you can hear um uh, yeah i i'm like like i can so clearly picture him singing this to his wife yeah because she doesn't die until the next year yeah so yeah and and see and i thought this was him singing honestly to god like that's okay. the depths of his disappointment that he knows he has created mm-hmm. i thought this was his i'm sorry to god it i mean that's part of it too yeah <laughs> you know and and he he was he was a believer i mean he he was he he you know uh yeah. and and in interviews he he spoke uh with with bare i'm going to call it barefaced eloquence mm-hmm. um about his his relationship to god mm-hmm. and yeah i i think i think you're right there is there is an element of um i know i've been a terrible terrible disappointment and i know that i have failed yeah. so hard so yeah. many times here's the difference yeah Reznor is still stuck on a relationship with yeah. a person yeah cash is stuck on his relationship with himself and god like he yeah is, you know yeah yeah i think i, I think i am letting you down i'm letting myself down Reznor yeah. is this other person is is the focus of it the yeah. locus of his pain is is this yeah. person having left him yeah. Johnny Cash is his own worst torment. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And there is, and I don't, I don't want this to sound like I'm, I'm poo-pooing Reznor. No. There is a maturity mm-hmm. to, to what Cash is expressing. Well, okay. So Trent Reznor is probably in his thirties by the time he writes Hurt. Yeah, and he cashes in his seventies. So yes, yeah. maturity works, but I would say that there is a <laughs> a wornness that exhaustion. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I think that's more than maturity. I think it's yeah, it's goddamn exhaustion. It's yeah. I'm at the end. Yeah, and I'm looking back, whereas Trent yeah. Reznor is stuck in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, when when you when you first approached me with with the idea for for this episode this this is literally the first yeah. song that immediately came to mind i think most of our listeners were were going to be pissed if we didn't get to it right away you know? <laughs> like oh my god come on, come on. yeah yeah you know be- i know we're all here for this we're, we're all here for this yeah. yeah and and you know it's worth noting that that in interviews since trent reznor said oh yeah no that's that's his fucking song now yeah, so I That's... have the actual quotes. Would you like to? Oh, oh yeah, 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 do it. Yeah. Um. So his original quote was, "quote I listened to it and it was very strange. It was this other person inhabiting my most personal song. I'd known where I was when I wrote it. I know what I was thinking about. I know how I felt. Hearing it was like someone kissing your girlfriend. It felt invasive. So that was his initial. But then he okay. saw the video. Now Trent Reznor came up at a time okay. where music videos were really important." Mm-hmm. And after seeing the video, Trent Reznor said, quote, it really, really made sense. And I thought, what a powerful piece of art. I never got to meet Johnny Cat, or I never got to meet Johnny, but I'm happy I contributed the way I did. It felt like a warm hug for anyone who hasn't seen it. I highly recommend checking it out. I have goosebumps right now thinking about it. Having Johnny Cash, one of the greatest singer songwriters of all time, 
want to cover your song. That's something that matters to me. It's not so much what other people think, but the fact that this guy felt that it was worthy of interpreting. He said afterwards it was a song that sounds like one he would have written in the 60s, and that's wonderful. That's yeah. Trent Reznor about it. The thing that I want to zero in there, though, Trent Reznor wrote this song, yeah. and he says, I never got to meet Johnny, but I'm happy I contributed the way I did. Yeah. <laughs> like, I contributed is like what The Cure did on the tribute <laughs> album. His personal song <laughs> yeah. is now just a contribution yeah. to Johnny Cash's yeah. lexicon. Yeah. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. And yeah. And, remarkably humble and and it just kind of shows like i have long admired trent reznor um mm -hmm. as a musician um as i started listening to him when i was like you know 13 14 yeah. um but also like his attitude toward music his attitude toward democratizing music and toward accessibility yeah. has yeah. always been like kind of on that bleeding edge of like oh i like where you're coming from yeah um, i i really Ulrich, he's not <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, I, I really hope I never hear that, that Trent Reznor, you know, has, has done something horrible. Well, like, because to have though, like listen to his songs. Yeah. Well, how deep yeah. Calls me got it, I, yeah, okay. I guarantee you he's been a shit. Yeah, I know. But like, but yeah, I hear you. You know, the, the, the quotes and, and, you know, what I've, what I've seen and heard from him outside of mm -hmm. the music he's created. Yeah. He really genuinely seems like somebody whose heart is in the right place, who is a good dude. Yeah. You know, um, and, and certainly, uh, you can, you can get to that place after having not been one. Johnny Cash you know, is a good example. Johnny Cash is an excellent example. Um, you know, and and it occurs to me talking about it, you know, mm -hmm. when when uh Johnny said, you know, that that Hurt sounded like a song he would have written back in the 60s. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of wondering when he wrote When the Man Comes Around. Um yeah. because there is there there radically different in approach but there is they, they they both like cash's version of hurt mm -hmm. is clearly a song about the ending of someone's time so are you talking the the one that got released on one of the american four album maybe yeah uh, as far as i know that was that came off of the same album as hurt did and that would have been yeah. 2002. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, all right. I had thought it was earlier, but there we go. So, yeah, that that whole, you know, uh thinking about the endings of things mm -hmm. uh is is clearly a common thread there. Yeah. Um and that's another that's another angle of his his relationship to and his view of his his faith. Yeah. There. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh yeah. All yeah, right. That's that's an important one. Well, speaking we, we of gotta... songs by terrible people. Um Okay. So um uh but then covered by people who I admire ideologically. Um okay. Every Day by Buddy Holly as covered okay. by Pearl Jam. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. Now every day 
um, is the B-side to Peggy Sue in 1957. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so Peggy Sue was the big hit, but a whole lot of people who wanted to cover songs covered this song. Uh, the only percussion you hear the whole time is the drummer slapping his knee. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's it's a, that's it's a very stripped down. Yeah. It's number. Yeah. It's that. Yeah. It totally sounds like balls slapping someone's genitals when you're doing them doggy style. And now okay. you will never not. I will hear never be able to hear the ball that song. Yeah. During that song. Thank you so much Every for that. Every day. It's, it's a getting, a getting closer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. See, yeah. the whole song is just about edging. Going faster. <laughs> a roller coaster. <laughs> there you go. Sorry, sorry. I had a little bit of uh, uh, oh damn it, uh, blister in the sun. There go, you go. Go through my mind yeah. there. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, but a, a few years after it comes out, uh, regardless of whether or not it does sound like doggy style ball slapping to you, um, a few years after it you. comes out, uh, <laughs> other <laughs> other artists start covering it. Yeah, um, as B sides to their singles. Um, most famously, James Taylor covered it in 85 and it got all the way to number two on the charts. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I to don't it. know if I've heard the James Taylor version. I don't like it. I really okay. don't. It's James <laughs> Taylor in the eighties and it's, it's yeah, right. yeah, that's used. pretty much it. That's all you need to know. Really. Yeah. I mean, like, and I like James, I, I like James Taylor yeah. when he strips it down, but yeah. when it's like a whole bunch of production, I'm like, no, 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 thanks. <laughs> no, thank you. But yeah. Schmaltz. But in, 2000 uh, Pearl yeah. Jam took a swipe at it at a concert in Lubbock, Texas. Now, Pearl Jam was on tour for their by by you even said the word binaural 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 yeah. tour. Um they had been on their 2000 binaural tour um and what they started doing was so so a little before that, I think it was the Vitology um tour. Okay. They yeah. took a stand against Ticketmaster and they're like, man, wow. fuck that, you know? And then they yeah. noticed that nobody else was taking that stand with them. And they were like, shit, this could be our career. <laughs> um, but... Yeah. It, it, it was, it was a, it was a very principled stand from a group of very principled guys. Yeah. That, and... that sadly didn't, didn't do anything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But what they did start doing was they said, um, Hey, uh, feel free to record boot amateur bootlegs of our concerts. Oh yeah, around to each other. You know, kind yeah. of a Grateful Dead approach. Yeah. Um, or Dave Matthews Band approach. Although yeah. I don't yes. know if Dave Matthews Band encouraged that or not, but it was very popular. same same energy. Yeah. But so they they encourage people to do that. But in this tour, they said, "Wait, why don't we release these albums?" Like each live performance is a new album. It's a live performance album. Oh, okay. And, we, right. and what they wanted to do was to release it for just their fan club, but there were legal issues. So they said, okay, fine, we'll release it and put it out to everybody with our right. fan club in mind, you know? Yeah. And speaking of democratization of music. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So they, uh, they started releasing live recordings of every show they did. Um, and uh, so this way, people wouldn't just have amateur bootlegs; they'd have better quality amateur bootlegs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's 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 a bootleg, but at least yeah. you know the people doing it had access to like a mixing board and you right. know the ability to kind of you know better but, recording equipment. Yeah, and I yeah. think they they broke like multiple records that year of having like the most albums in the top two hundred mm -hmm. because of this strategy. I kind of think that that's kind of a cheat, but whatever. Um. Anyway, they released 72 albums live that year. Uh, so, All right, man. 
Um, have you heard this song? I have, but it's been a long time. Okay. So the the ball slapping sound sound is gone. Okay. I'm I'm um, glad to hear that. It's replaced with uh one of the guitarists kind of just strumming it, strumming that okay. same rhythm. Okay. Um and that uh it, it's it's the only recording that I've found of them doing it is the live recording from Lubbock, Texas. So it's a live recording version. So you got the crowd's energy. Yeah, yeah. And you've got them going for it. And you've got Eddie Vedder, you know, with that that weird I'm talking from my jowls voice that he sings with, right? Yeah. That gave it a lot more emotional depth than Buddy Holly did. Um, and <laughs> as as much as I yeah. missed the ball slapping sound, I think this is better, okay. partly because of the way he trails off when he goes, oh, hey, oh, hey, hey. And he just kind of mm-hmm. trails off with it each time. Um, and I, mm. I just I think it's a, a far superior. It's a very short song. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just it sounds so much more fun. And I know that it, it it's not going to tickle people as much as what they remember from watching Stand By Me. Um, mm-hmm. but I actually do think it's a better recording. Um, it's uh nothing against the Buddy Holly version. I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, but uh this one is more of a jam band feel. Whereas the other yeah, one is well, it's more a different, of a professional musician. Yeah, it's it's simple. a there there'd be more of a uh it'd feel more organic. Yep. So yeah. So, so yeah, that's that's what all I right. have. So all right, cool. What what's your next one? Uh <laughs> this this one's kind of a cheat. Uh this this was actually the second thing I thought of, and I, mm-hmm. I put it down first on my list. Um, but the song is Layla. Oh, okay. By Eric Clapton. Okay. Covering Eric Clapton. Is that okay? You're talking about the the acoustic, right? Yeah. That doesn't count. Well, the same guy we, singing we, the same we, song. Well, but hold on. Okay. Okay. Here, okay. I mean, you know, at, at the end of this, you can you can you know disqualify okay. this entry, but the original song. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, have you heard both versions? Oh, of course. Yeah. Okay. Because because I was in high school in the '90s in an affluent area. So everybody had the Eric Clapton unplugged. Okay. Yeah. It was okay. that the Eagles, Steve yeah. Miller band. Yeah. And whatever pot they were smoking. Okay. All right. Literally, yeah. But so, so here's the deal. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not concerned because, because I too lived in a, a fairly affluent area when I was in high school in, in the early nineties. But um, the thing is I actually heard mm-hmm. the acoustic version before I ever heard the original. Oh, really? Yeah, so the so the first version that I actually ever heard was the the acoustic one, mm-hmm. and the original was a revelation to me because they're very very different. And it's not just that one is acoustic and thus quieter, and the other one right. is electric and thus louder. The original is very high energy, very up tempo, and oh, it no. is. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, but it is a it is a wailing rock tune that mm-hmm. that shows off Clapton's virtuosity with the guitar. Mm-hmm. Like it is, it is however many minutes of of just solid. Holy shit! How does he make the instrument do that 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 quickly? Right. And then he gets into the really beautiful end piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. For the last three um, minutes, like holy crap! Yeah. Yeah. Now the original really, really heavily emphasized because because the vocals mm-hmm. and and the and the high energy, 
Yeah, he's yeah. literally, I mean, he's wailing, like I said, and right. it's and it's emphasizing the, the power of his emotion and, and, the, and the desperation mm-hmm. of his need for an answer. The yep. cover, uh, the acoustic version, uh, which was was played on the same MTV Unplugged uh, alongside Tears in Heaven, right? Uh, written for his lost son, which like at the time it was emotionally affecting. If I were to hear it now, you'd have to scrape me off the floor, sure, because I know the backstory and it would just fucking wreck me. But but this is this is very much an older man's song. This mm-hmm. version of Layla, I mean, it's it's obviously it's acoustic, it's it's jazzy, mm-hmm. and where the original is him screaming for acknowledgement, the cover is confessional. The cover, the 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 cover, the, the acoustic version, much more heavily emphasizes. Look, I'm admitting to you that I'm in love with you, mm-hmm. rather than the original, which is tell me you love me. Right, and um. The the I mean the, the twenty plus years and it's actually almost twenty years precisely b- between the two recordings. Yeah. Um. There there is so much more emotional depth. <laughs> uh. To to the acoustic version. I mean, for all of the amazing guitar work on the original, the, slowing it down and his vocal delivery mm-hmm. in the acoustic version is a very different song and there is and i'm going to use this word again maturity mm-hmm. that the original lacks now the history behind this is um clapton wrote the song originally for patty boyd right who was married to george harrison at the time and he was secretly in love with her yes yeah and um so uh, and and Patty Boyd was a muse for uh, both of these men, mm-hmm. um, both at the same time and separately at different times. Uh, something in the way she moves by the Beatles, right, was was inspired by her. Yep. Uh, and then Clapton wrote "Wonderful Tonight" about her uh, as well. She and Harrison divorced in 1974. She married Clapton in 1979. Mm-hmm. Um. Her, according to a couple of sources that I found, uh, when he confessed to his feelings to her and she shot him down, um, there are a couple of sources that say that that fed into his spiraling into an episode of of heroin addiction. Okay. Um, and then he got clean, married her, and then fell back into bad habits. And they were divorced. I'm trying to remember what year it was, but they were divorced in like. 89 i want to say in 89 i want to say they were married about 10 years mm-hmm. um but it's it's uh an interesting kind of side note that that uh one one person was the inspiration for so much music yeah uh you know during this time period and i i heard i couldn't find it supported in any sources but i had heard kind of an urban legend mm-hmm. that when harrison found out that Boyd did kind of have feelings. Boyd had turned Clapton down, but you know, she right, she, right. she did have feelings for him. And and when when Harrison kind of found that out, uh, and this this fits in with with Harrison's reputation for being as, you know, Zen and everything that that he, that he was, mm-hmm. uh the, the story went that he said, well, you know, if if you two are in love with each other, I don't want to stand in the way of that because he's 
you know, I, I love him. He's my good friend. And obviously I love you. I want the two of you to be happy. I couldn't find any, any support for that. Yeah. That sounds a little Arthur Lancelot Guinevere. A, a little bit. It It's, no. it's a little bit like George Harrison hagiography. Yeah. yeah. Which like, you know, of all the Beatles, I kind of want to say George Harrison comes closest to deserving it. I'm not going to say he deserve nobody deserves it, but you know, I would say Ringo. I would say Ringo. Uh, I'm a huge okay, Ringo. Ringo like, here's right? okay. Um, <laughs> Ringo is the same Gamgee of the Beatles. Yes. Uh, Ringo is definitely the same way as Gamgee of the Beatles. Yeah. Um, but oh wow, oh man, if we <laughs> just for a brief interlude. Okay, so. <laughs> So John is definitely Mary, right? Like, yeah. And Paul yeah. is Paul is Pippin. Yeah, yeah. That makes yeah. George Frodo. Like, yeah, it's you, yeah. you know what? Actually, yeah. all right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. based on based on, oh my God. So John yeah, is Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. is Leonardo. <laughs> uh, Ringo is Michelangelo, and yeah. George is Donatello. Yeah. Oh yep. my God. <laughs> no, but but the but the, the the Hobbit parallel. Oh my God, Paul McCartney is Pippin. Like, <laughs> holy fuck, it makes so much sense. Yeah. So, which one right. was the one that had to sing for tomato eating guy? That's Pippin. That's Pippin. Okay, just yeah. like you know, yeah, just, sing for yeah. me. And he's like, live and let die. <laughs> <laughs> I'm chopping broccoli. <laughs> um. Back when Dana Carvey was still funny. Um, so yeah. Anyway, that's okay. that's my that's my second entry. And like, yeah, I, I get I yeah. get what you're saying. It's you know, but I, I I genuinely feel like they're they're two radically different interpretations. It's a radically enough different interpretation of the song that I I would I would almost call it that. Okay. okay. So. Uh, right. I would just like to add a little footnote. Um, first yeah. off, I still disagree. Just I'm a little okay. bit more dogmatic than you, um, yeah. being that I'm not Catholic. Um, and uh, <laughs> but wait, are we in a bizarro know. world? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but also, I would just I I do need to add this little part. Eric yeah. Clapton's a piece of shit. Um, in okay. general, like he he constantly is speaking anti-immigrant uh, rhetoric and and like vitriol at his concerts now specifically aimed at black people in England and just like all kinds of just oh yeah dang. he's like Shit. yeah it, it's it's one of those that like sucks. hey you know it, it's you know I I don't mind when people bring their politics out but I do get to judge them for them yeah okay that's so, yeah I'm not a shut Fair. up and play your music guy yeah absolutely you said that cool you are a piece of shit okay um, fair so yeah um, and honestly, that has caused me to kind of recast. And I am not a forgiving man all the time anyway. So, you know, the loss of his son. Me? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the loss of his son, I, you know, I've kind of always like kind of been like, well, this is why we don't do all these drugs in the presence of our children. Like we would be able to stop them. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. counter that the kid wasn't in his custody at the time that it happened. Oh, Okay, and I need to go look at that again because I yeah. thought that I thought yeah, that no. was during his watch. No, never mind that then. So that's that's yeah. just confirmation bias leading me there. So yeah, well, there well, you go. Well, never mind that. And that okay, is, so so he's also still a piece of shit for the thing. Yeah, yeah, no, it's that doesn't change that. Yeah. yeah. So all, all right. right. Well, um, 
Interestingly enough, I also have a Johnny Cash cover. Uh, okay. So, um, Ain't No Grave by Claude Eli, as covered by Johnny Cash. Okay. So, um, and uh, I will definitely stop so that you can hear it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, Brother Claude Eli was known as the Gospel Ranger of the Appalachian Mountains. Holy shit, how cool a name is that? Yeah, wow. All right. Yeah. Okay. So he was in the 1930s. Okay. And 40s, yeah, okay. And he was an honest to goodness Pentecostal preacher. Yeah. Um, all right. And he tracks. also, <laughs> yeah. He also, <laughs> he preached uh, via the radio and in person uh, okay. in places from from Virginia to Kentucky to Ohio. Um, oh, wow. He had all a right. radio show that he played his music on. Um, and his music was regularly covered by religious and secular artists during his lifetime. Okay. Um, and evidently, like when this song came to mind for him, when he wrote it, he was actually suffering from and recovering from tuberculosis in 1934. All right. Yeah. And it's actually the song really cheerful and upbeat. Uh, it's mm. mildly defiant of, I'd say, the disease. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like definitely it, it, it sounds like he feels very confident because he knows Jesus has his back. Okay, yeah. Which makes sense, you know. I can uh, I can 110% endorse yeah. all of this so far. Very folksy, very woodsy. Um Yeah. The the, the best way to to do it without like, well, I actually I'm going to send you both links. Um okay. but uh the, if you think of his music as being like most of the music that we hear on the Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack. Yeah. Old old time. Like, yeah. Yeah. Wailing, whining at the same time. Yeah, that high nasal twang. Yeah. Um, which makes sense when you're trying to, you know, get it to sound across valleys and shit to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh so yeah, I'm gonna pause it here so you can listen to his version. Okay. So having listened to Brother Eli. Yeah. Give it a give it a quick descriptor and then I'll talk about it. It's it's okay. So 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 Brother Eli's version is the version that you would hear them playing in church as as the the possibly as the uh exit hymn. You know, as you're walking out, you know, and and everybody is in that, you know, rejoicing, we've gotten the good news. Jesus has like as you said, Jesus has our back. That's right. Ain't no grave going to hold our body down. You know, we're going to like, you know, death, whatever. Right. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I have no fear of death. You know, that, that whole, mm -hmm. that strain of belief, that, yes. that particular thread of, of the theology being played up. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it's uplifting and it deals with a heavy subject but it's it's an encouraging song. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then comes Johnny Cash. Uh, and this is the leadoff track of America 6, Ain't No Grave. It's the titular track as well. Okay. It's Johnny Cash's first posthumous release as well. Okay. Uh, it, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a funeral march. It is. It is 110% a funeral march. It... The themes are all still there, but the tone and the mood is vastly different. Is vastly different. It is yeah. immediate, like from the first notes of it, it's darker. Oh yeah, like like in in timber, 
it is it is darker it, it the 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 mm -hmm. color of the of the melody is yeah. uh more somber and his voice you know we talked about it on on hurt but he's exhausted yeah like this is this is him this is him saying uh what the, the part of this that is not being said is i am about to die well, there's more to it even than that, actually. I've got some okay. specifics here about it. Okay. Um, so, it uh, well, out... and there's there's one thing oh. I want to say before we get to that is okay. the first version is a defiant, cheerful statement. Yep. This is acceptance. Yeah. This the 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 tone is I I have accepted that this is what's going to happen. I know what waits for me on the other side, but I know that I'm going to have to go through the door to death to get there. Yeah. And so there is a defiance. There's a sad yeah. defiance, but there's a defiance there. So it comes out a couple of days after what would have been his 78th birthday. That's okay. when this album releases. Right. Uh, Johnny Cash had been recording the American recordings in the last years of his life. Okay, mm -hmm. so that the voice that you heard in Hurt, the voice that you hear in this, um, he released American Three and American Four before June died. Um, this le left left uh, uh, a lasting impact on him. Uh, when June died, though, uh, obviously, uh, Rick Rubin, the, the famed producer, said mm -hmm. of this impact, said, quote, when June died, it tore him up. Uh, he said to me, you have to keep me working because I will die if I don't have something to do. He was in a wheelchair by then, and we set him up at his home in Virginia. I couldn't listen to those recordings for two years after he died, and it was heartbreaking when we did. He truly believed that the only reason for Johnny Ki Johnny Cash to live after June died was to make music. Like that's what Johnny thought. Mm -hmm. uh, and he continued recording all the way up to his death. So this is this wow. is the ain't no grave going to hold my body down. It's his music. I don't mm -hmm. care what happens to me. Mm -hmm. I will die if I don't play this music. Now, this version is not something I recommend you play when you're driving down a dark country road at night. It is haunting. Uh, oh, it, it oh is, yeah. It is scary as fuck. Um, the banjo just has a menace to it. Uh, yeah. And, and then the... there's chains dragging on the floor. <laughs> like, and the, and the, and the percussion, the, yeah. the slapping. Right. But whatever... it's the chains for me. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I, I actually thought I was like, Oh, Maybe I could get a career playing chains because you yeah, know yeah. I'm yeah. gonna be the best chains player that there ever was, man. You want to drag chains across the floor? I'm I'm your guy. I'm, there you go. Yeah. Um. Also, and the third uh third one that I sent you uh was yeah. uh was uh, a a promo that shows up on the Titantron <laughs> at a wrestling yeah. event for mm -hmm. the Undertaker. Um. This yep. was one of the Undertaker's comebacks. This is for WrestleMania 27, I want to say. So it's after okay. he's beaten Shawn Michaels twice. Um, okay. And he's come back to take on Triple H. The It'll be the second time at Mania that he's taken on Triple H, but the yeah. not the final time. Um, It was the only entrance I remember Undertaker walking fast to. Um, And by fast, I mean normal human speed. Um, yeah. And this promo was used by The Undertaker throughout WrestleMania season. Um, and uh, and it led to some really, really good promos and stuff and just incredible, like... Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's... it's of emotion, so... Yeah, it's 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 
deeply evocative. What I what I noticed about the difference between the cash version and this version mm-hmm. is they did fiddle with the with the sound balancing on it. Yep. And Cash's voice uh is is not magnified. Yeah, it's 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 sped up slightly yeah. and the uh the the percussion mm-hmm. the the thumping death march thud 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 is louder. It has to be because you're filling up an arena with it. That's a good point. Yeah. That makes sense. Kind of like the high lonesome sound of of bluegrass is because you're uh-huh. singing across the valley. So yeah. Um, but it, yeah. And, I think and this the is better than Claudia lies, uh, not only because Claudia lie wasn't used in wrestling, but also just <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's, it, it has so many more layers to it. It's, it's, you know, well, it's I not think, just a one note thing. I, I think, I think that's part of it. I, I kind of want to say, I almost want to want to make the opposite argument that it's a distillation of particular parts of the Eli yeah. version of the song. Sure. Um, and it is because first cash, like I said, changed the color of the song as dramatically as he did. Yep. And then in this version, they said, okay, you know, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take that and we're going to strip it even further. Mm-hmm. And, and we got to make it a banger for an arena. <laughs> Well, and remember, you he know, didn't write it for that. I just, think I well, I, I know, him, I know, yeah. but I'm, I'm talking about the, the, the alterations they made to it was like, mm-hmm. okay, we gotta, you know, uh, so yeah, no, that's that is an, that is a remarkable example of uh, mimetic drift. Mm-hmm. So uh, what yeah. do you got? All right, okay. Well, my next one, I gotta get my notes back in front of me because now I got multiple windows open. Uh, let's see, here we go. Okay, uh, my next one is uh, War Pigs. Oh. Now, the original is Black Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's Ozzy Osbourne and the rest of Black Sabbath. It, um, it, it is this, uh, it, it's, it, is, it is a poster child for uh, metal music in the 80s. Um, like, it's, it's, it, it's not really a trope codifier because the tropes are already codified, but it, it embodies it's right. So many of them, you know, uh, it's, it's, you know, heavy, heavy, heavy guitar riffs. Um, and Ozzy being peak Ozzy, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. the, the, the high, the, the high pitched, uh, uh, timber of his voice, the nasal, And the and the the shouting and the almost supplicating kind of tone of his voice in the song, mm-hmm. and of course it's it's uh, uh, subject matter is about as eighties as you can get. It's it's about Armageddon, right? <laughs> you know, it's oh hey, uh, you you know about the potential for nuclear nuclear holocaust? Hey, mm-hmm. <laughs> how you doing? And and it is it is uh, explicitly. Uh, talking about the evil of the military industrial complex and, you know, looming Armageddon and, uh, you know, ultimately winds up. And, and this is this one of the things I, I love about it mm-hmm. is that like Ozzy Osbourne was to an awful lot of, of, you know, Christian 
you know, white Christian American parents in the eighties, Ozzy Osbourne was like the standard bearer of the devil. Right. Yeah. And here he's actually calling out the devil for who it is. Yeah. And, and, and literally using black masses, I think is it. Yeah. Yeah. Just like witches, uh, generals gathered in their, in their masses, just like witches at black masses, Mm -hmm. which like, I mean, not the greatest rhyme there they, but they were terrible at that to be honest if you look <laughs> right. at iron man it's like oh you just yeah. had to rush through that line oh like, yeah 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 uh but uh, when, when you say you know calling out the devil for who it truly is mm-hmm. and then and and the last line is you know satan laughing spreads his wings right but it's not because uh you know we're we're here we are you know uh you know, being happy that the devil is one, it's no, no. Um, all of these people have given the devil what he wanted. Right. You know, uh, and it's like, did, did you actually bother listening to the lyrics? Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry, Reverend, but like, come on. Um, so it's, it's this, it's, it's, it, it does that thing that, that metal occasionally manages to do of being, uh, really on point and and like almost comedically like anvilicious in in making a political point and uh, getting and sorry, getting Anvil is is a very famous metal band yeah well oh, you know yeah. hey. anyway sorry um but uh you know making making a point in a very very like concrete hi how you doing we're, we're not being subtle about this kind of way and then getting completely ignored because genre ghetto, right? Right. You know, well, because, you know, it's a bunch of guys in spandex and, and big hair, you know. Right, right. So we're not we're not going to take them at all seriously. Um <laughs> but uh so that's that's the Black Sabbath version of the song, which uh-huh. is, you know, rightly uh considered a a classic of the genre. It's it's you know, one of the important pieces within the canon of metal. Mm-hmm. And then it gets covered by Cake of all people. Um, That's true. And and the first time I heard it, it completely bent my brain. Okay. Because it is all of the lyrics are exactly the same. All of the like the arrangement is, you know, they they don't do anything to the melody. It's all there. But there is this level of for lack of a better word i'm going to say irony mm-hmm. that they that they bring to and cake of course is really good at that yeah um there is this there is this very i'm going to say late 90s mid 90s irony that they bring to it that um that that i don't want to say elevates it but it it adds a whole new uh shading Mm-hmm. to the to to the the story that's being told and the way that they arrange it the the arrangement of it um is it is not as shrill mm-hmm. and i don't mean that as a as a as a critique no, no, yeah, or a criticism yeah, of 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 uh black sabbath right but it's it's it it is it is lower lower in pitch, lower in intensity, 
but yeah. somehow the level of vocal clarity involved kind of makes the satire work better or maybe not satire sorry, yeah. but the but the, the commentary they sound more bored and less tied to a genre yeah and so it just kind of like yeah we're informing you yeah, yeah. <laughs> i just i just like want to tell you like this is this is what's really going on here yeah you know um and i mean it's 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 so very you know northern california in the 90s it hurts like <laughs> it is it is an artifact of its time in a very very big way mm-hmm. but then so is so is the original version by black sabbath and like i can listen to either one of them and enjoy either one of them mm-hmm. but the black sabbath version of it i get tired of earlier yeah cuz it's assaulting the ears for yeah. the totality of the song like yeah it is still metal like, yeah that's, that's <laughs> well, for yeah. getting you from place to place that's not for just sitting around yeah yeah and the the introduction of horns and and you know all of the other all of the other sonic characteristics of of cakes style right um is i think um yeah, I, I like I like what you said about you know they're 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 just informing you. I I don't know if I go so far as to say bored, but there is there's a level of self reference mm-hmm. involved that I think I think makes the pill a little bit easier to swallow because it's like you're in on the joke with them, right? And you're not just being exhorted by a bunch of screaming guys with big hair and eyeliner, you know? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) You know, and, and so I would, I would argue that as a work of social commentary, I think war pigs by cake is, is more effective. Okay. Um, And, and I think it's a really strong example of, okay, we're going to take this thing from one genre and we're going to throw it into a completely different area of the sonic landscape mm-hmm. and make it work. I'm not after, after now having heard uh, the cures cover of purple haze, I, I can't, I can't say it's as good as that because Holy crap. Right. Like again, that made me almost like want to become a fan of the cure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm not really a fan of their work to be honest, but that song I like. Yeah, like yeah. holy cow! Yeah, okay, I understand why people call these people geniuses. Like, all right, um, but yeah, and and otherwise, I'm I'm a big fan of of cakes, oeuvre, sure. uh, their other stuff. Anyway, so so for me, them covering it is just like okay, well, you know, I'm 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 biased in their favor. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I I genuinely do think for for those reasons that I mentioned, I think I think it it is it a more effective piece of social commentary than, than Sabbath's original? Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with all that. Uh, not the least of which, because uh, you, you know, it was easy to shoot the messenger. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 So, and you don't expect Ozzy to get, it's, it's so funny because he's actually a very intelligent man. Um, oh yeah. But you don't expect him to get political in his music. 
Yeah. And when he does, you dismiss it. Yeah. And like, it's, you know, I mean, the most partisan I've ever seen him be, obviously, is at WrestleMania 2 when he backed the yeah. British Bulldogs um, well, against the Dream Team. But I mean, I yeah, he kind of has to, right? right? Yeah. You know, so, but, but like, he, uh, yeah, he was there. Um, but... um, and and total total side note, but sure. I admire Ozzy Osbourne for his self understanding. Yes, yes, you know, as, like... as you see in in the Keeping Up with the Osbournes or whatever. That yeah, show yeah, was. yeah. Uh, do do you want you know confronting confronting his son about his about his drug use? Look at him right there and go, "Do you want to end up looking like me?" Right, <laughs> like, no. Exactly. I'm 50 right. years old, and if I hop around too energetically on stage, I break shit because I've right. abused my body so badly. Right. Like, no, no, no. I am an example of what not to do. Right. So, so you know, honorable mention, and I don't think it's in in the same league as either of the the original or the cover that you're mentioning. Yeah. Um, but Faith No More did War Pigs on uh on their album, I think, Epic. Oh. Yeah. Uh, it's been a no, long time album, s- the real thing yeah 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 it's been a long time since i've heard that one but yeah i'm gonna and have to go Mike check Patton that one has out again the same kind of like reedy voice that yeah that, yeah uh, ozzy has so not yeah. as good but there you go but but worth worth checking out yeah. i would yeah all right cool all right here's one all along the watchtower by bob dylan as covered by Jimi hendrix well yeah yeah it, this is a i mean a like this is another early. one that is like how did it take you this long to get to it well, I okay. So here's here's one of the reasons I think that a lot of people like may not support this is because they don't know about it because everybody just thinks it's Jimmy's song. Yeah. Uh, like so, Bob Dylan released it on his eighth album in 1967, which I didn't realize he was so prolific that early. Yeah. Um His eighth album was called John Wesley Harding. Um, mm-hmm. He'd gotten in a motorcycle accident in the summer of 1966, which is, I think, shortly after one of his kids was born. Yeah. Um, and he was recuperating at home for like the next year and a half. And by the way, another kid was born during that time. Um, and uh, he basically was recuperating. Getting... Right. Well, he was Here's recuperating. Though, yeah. Like, no, I, I know. I'm yeah. just being smart. But also having sex with his wife. Yeah. Um, but uh, he was getting better. He was writing songs. Um, this was written during that spate of songs. Everything actually ends up getting recorded at the end of 67 because he'd twice over become a father and he's kind of getting used to being a dad. Um, this this particular song has some biblical imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was researching it, I found people kept referencing Isaiah chapter 21 verses 5 through 9. So okay. I just copied and pasted those verses. So okay. Uh, I think we have a a first where Damien quotes the Bible. Um, So Isaiah 21, five through nine, Uh, prepare the table, watch the watchtower, eat, drink, arise ye princes and prepare the shield. For thus hath the Lord said unto me, go set a watchman, let him declare what he seeth, seeth. Uh, And he saw a chariot with a couple of horsemen, a chariot of asses and a chariot of camels. And he hearkened diligently with much heed. And behold, here cometh a chariot of men with a couple of horsemen. And he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and all thy graven images of her gods has hath broken unto the ground. Okay. So you can kind of hear a little bit of, yeah. you know, uh, lyrically, it's definitely an interesting song. Uh, yeah. Musically, it's fine. 
Um, but his performance is is standard Bob Dylan or what I kind of consider to be what I would just call just kind of there. Um, it's it's really rare for me for Bob Dylan's performance to be what brings a song through. Um, OK, the fair. one song I can think of is it ain't me, Bab. it ain't me, babe. That okay. one actually works. The rest of them, somebody else could do, and I would probably be happier. Okay. All right. Um, I I think that music songs specifically have like three legs. Um, the first leg is the music, the second leg is the, the lyrics, and the third leg is the performance of those things. Um, and Bob Dylan is is a master of two of them. Yeah. Um, but the last one is severely. <laughs> he doesn't. He you you yeah. Yeah. Okay. But Hendrix's version, that is what we call the trope codifier, right? Like it yeah. becomes so yeah. much the thing that it becomes everybody's. That's the thing. Yeah. It couldn't be more different than Bob Dylan's version. And in that difference, it becomes Jimi Hendrix's song. Most folks, like I said earlier, would identify it as Jimi Hendrix's song. Um, there's a music historian, music critic named Albin Zach, and he states, quote, there are three basic strategies apparent in this transformation of Dylan's version. One, the intensification of essential musical gestures and formal divisions. Two, the introduction of pitch material dissonant with the uh, pentatonic collection of the original. And three, the tracing of a long-range, goal-directed melodic line over the call-and-response structure of the arrangement. It is in the latter that Hendrix asserts most forcefully his protagonist claim. Now, I mean, duh, obviously, all of those things. Uh, that, that's what I was saying. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. okay, Mr. Smart Guy, you want to say it that way? Fine, I'll put you in here. Um, but seriously, like <laughs> more stripped down to Damien version, the dude is way above my ability when it comes to understanding this stuff. So yeah. I will say, production-wise, it took 16 tracks to get the original Hendrix version laid down because he was dissatisfied with it at every step of the of the journey. Yeah. Um, well, he, he yeah. part of his reputation, in in addition to being amazingly mm -hmm. skilled on the guitar, like super genius level uh he he was a perfectionist he had a very clear idea mm -hmm. in his head of what he wanted to hear yeah and he and he he leveraged every bit of technology he could in mm -hmm. order to get that and what's wild to me to hear that is that if you hear the song it sounds so perfectly complete on its own like it was just one take Oh yeah. Like well like he put a lot of work <laughs> into sounding that good on the fly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's got hard hitting opening riffs, you know, that just that that first part and then the rattle between them. Um, yeah. and then the amazing use of the drum before the guitar begins to wail. And yeah. then he starts belting out uh the the words all along, like midway through the song, you know. Yeah, like he's really driving that point home. Um, and it sets the tone for like half of the movies that are set in the sixties and seventies. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and, and the song itself, like many other covers that I've looked at was the B side of, uh, of, of, uh, Jimi Hendrix, uh, of, of an album, right? Yeah. So it's the B side of a single for burning the midnight lamp. Um, and it came out, which about nobody like, yeah, You're nobody like, oh, remembers okay, that's not a bad like one. burning, burning the midnight lamp. Okay. That's that's what they all thought. Okay, this is going to be the signal, and okay, the B right. side is you know this cover of Dylan. <laughs> like, music yeah. historians are the only ones who can mention "Burning the Midnight Lamp," right? 
you know, in popular culture, it's that B side cover is the one that's oh, like, yeah. oh well, that's the soundtrack of the sixties. Like, yeah. And and this no. single came out in advance, about a month in advance of Electric Ladyland, right? Yeah. Um, but everybody jumped to this, and Bob Dylan actually reviewed it pretty positively. He said, "quote and and that that meant a lot to Jimi Hendrix." Actually, he said, "quote It overwhelmed me really. He had such talent. He could find things inside a song and vigorously develop them." He found things that other people wouldn't think of finding in there. He probably improved upon it by the spaces he was using. I took license with the song from his version, actually, and continue to do it to this day. And this is in a, a interview yeah. after his death. Yeah. Um, but Hendrix, actually, so he was glad that, because Dylan signaled, oh, yeah, I like this version. This is really good. But Hendrix stopped playing it live pretty quickly after, like, a couple months. He he did play it at the Isle of Wight Festival. Okay. But by and large, he took it out of his playlists for live performances, and I couldn't find out why. Um, well, I mean, what what kind of makes sense based on what you said is in order to get it right to his ear in the studio, uh, it took okay. all that work. And like live, you can't might not be able you, to create that. Yeah, you can't you can't create that the same way. Sure. I'm I'm ninety nine percent plus certain that like anybody listening to it live would have been blown away anyway. Oh yeah. You know, but I didn't I hear think... any complaints coming out of the Isle of Wight of like, yeah. wow, it was a good concert until he started playing all along. Until he started. Hour. Yeah. Couldn't he like, just leave that to Bob Dylan? Like nobody yeah, said that. Nobody said no. that. Yeah. Uh, but, but again, when you get to the level of um, skill, level mm-hmm. of talent, I, I don't know, you know, level of level of connection to to the music, sure. That somebody at, at Hendrix's level is operating with, like I can understand if if you're that level of perfectionist and you've worked that hard to get something to be this specific thing, it could be really frustrating. Yeah, yeah. That that like anytime you try to play it live, you're just chasing that and you can never get it. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. So. So later in the 80s, Dylan was interviewed about it again. He gets interviewed about it fairly frequently for a while. Yeah. Um, And he says he, quote, liked Jimi Hendrix's recording of this. And ever since he died, I've been doing it that way. Strange how when I sing it, I always feel it's a tribute to him in some kind of way. Like, that's proof positive in all the ways that this is a better (laughs) version than the original since the 1970s bob dylan has played that song closer to hendrix's version which makes it feel like bob dylan is covering Jimi hendrix's cover of a bob dylan song yeah so i mean that's yeah that's pretty amazing so yep you got you got one more that we i got yeah i got one more and it's and it's interesting uh (laughs) because it's because it's bob dylan again oh yeah, uh, but Bob this time Dylan creates good stuff, but we, yeah. Um, and this is uh knocking on heaven's door. Oh, really? By guns and roses. Okay. I got to cross that off the bottom of my list. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. God damn it. Well, I mean, yeah, you're not you wrong. Know, clearly. Um, and, and I think based on what you said about the three legged stool mm-hmm. of a song, I think the, the major key bit, of of this cover is is and God I hate to say this but it's Axl Rose, mm-hmm. um also Slash's guitar. Well, I mean, okay, yeah, I mean, yes, Slash and yes. Duff did a great job with that. Oh, but yes, yeah. you're right yeah. though. Axl Rose's vocal dynamics 
made yeah. that song. Yeah. Yeah. Um, his, his ability to go from, uh, uh, kind of, kind of, uh, not growling, but the, the, the kind of, it's almost like a weird crooning. Yeah. Or he, he, like, it's like yeah. a weird kind of like Texas country. Yeah. Kind of you thing know? going from that like to every teenage boy wanted to imitate that by the way. Oh yeah. You know, cause it's well, a little deeper than their voice, but also yeah. your voice wouldn't crack when you were doing that for some reason. Yeah. So well, it's because of, because of whatever the, whatever the, the, the mechanics are of the way yeah. you get that effect. It, yeah. it helps you avoid that. But him going from that to his really high, <laughs> high register yeah. whale kind of, kind of notes, the, 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 uh, pitch of emotion mm-hmm. involved in 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 that in that vocal performance because mm-hmm. like like you say bob dylan writes some amazing songs and the lyrics to this one are really good and and the arrangement is amazing mm-hmm. but dylan just isn't quite committed right enough like emotionally, you don't, you don't, you don't feel the same level of loss and regret and, you know, uh, uh, finality. Yeah. For lack of a better word. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all delivered in this. I mean, it's very earnest, but there's, there's not, it's kind of bloodless. Mm hmm. Uh, whereas you give it to a complete drama queen like Axl Rose and, and the pitch goes up like, you know, to 11. Yeah. Um, you know, he just turns the gain up on everything. Oh yeah. And, and he vamps vamps all the way through it. Oh yeah. And it's amazing. Well, and you know, he, it's this thing he does with like w- when he does with the rhythm of it. So like yeah. the Dylan version is like this this almost cheerful white yeah. guy imitating reggae, and then <laughs> like, that's the vibe that I always got from it. And then okay, I can when see Axel that. does it, he's grinding his hips into the rhythm of knock knock knock. Like you're like oh he's fucking me. Okay. right? Yeah, and he's just yeah. he's grinding his hips into it. And it's it, yeah. Again, it's it's it. I mean, it's he's got visceral. all the chakras lit up. Like he's, yeah, <laughs> he's nailing you with that kundalini. You know. I mean, yeah, you yeah. Know. <laughs> Buddy Holly called, and it was like, "Ooh, good percussion." You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice callback. Thanks. Nice, well done, well done. <laughs> but yeah, um, I mean, there's yeah. so much viscera in there. Whereas Bob Dylan yeah. feels like he's on the porch with friends at a dinner barbecue. Yeah. You know, long black cloud coming down. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like, yeah. Um, Guns and Roses turned that song into the death aria of an opera. Mm. Wow. That's, that's my, where you placed it in the album, where they placed it in the album is right before get in the ring, which is where he just, hurling yeah. invectives at uh yeah. Bob Guccione from Spin um yeah. in the most childish bullshit like bullshit was, stupid yeah. Axel Rose 
petty little bitch drama queen. Yeah. Right? Like it's, it's like, like, like did you did the you dichotomy there is yeah. like, you know, you 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 have this level of talent and you're doing this with it. Well, and it's just you know, look what you they know. did with it in terms of like building the momentum through that song. Like <laughs> like like you said, yeah. it's it's the 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 what'd you say, the death aria? The death aria. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and yeah, it is, it is, it's, it's pitch and it's, it's intensity are operatic in, in nature. And if you remember the first song on that album, it's civil war, which is a serious song and it's got whistling in it and it's got a bit of a banjo flair to it. And then they go to, I forget the next song. It's kind of forbiddable, but then they go to yesterday's, um, which is not the same as yesterday. Yeah. Um, because yeah, no, they do cover a Paul, Paul McCartney song on "Use Your Illusion One." <laughs> yeah, live and let, live die. And let die. Yeah, uh, which I think is better. Yeah, well, that's and, high. Okay, yeah. well, the next next episode that. we can. Yeah, <laughs> but in in "Use Your Illusion Two, like it pretty much those first four songs are yeah. all you need to listen to, and you just hit skip until you get to the song that was on Terminator. <laughs> yeah, like you really. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's anything else worth a damn and not no, really no it's just yeah. the rest yeah oh but, and then you get to don't cry um because they, okay. they did two yeah. versions of don't cry and both were good yeah um wow i might need to bust those out and give them a listen again yeah. but but it's it's this operatic thing like you said and they just fuck it up where they put it on the album <laughs> yeah um i i would i would argue that putting the, the mistake wasn't so much where they put uh, uh, knocking on heaven's door. It's that they put get in the ring anywhere on the album. Yeah. Like just like, why don't you just undercut yourselves completely? Right. You know, just tell you what, here's what you do. Uh, have, yeah. have like three or four kick-ass songs on an album and then undo all of that by just revealing that, you know, at the very least, your lead singer and maybe the rest of you too are just whining bitch babies. Like, yeah, yeah. come on, yeah. And and I remember there was there was a friend of mine in high school who uh, at, loved the album, like because mm-hmm. it's a good album. But like, he he really he 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 got a kick out of getting the ring, and I was like, really? I was twelve. Have you considered therapy? It, but. Yeah, they're saying well, all the naughty words. Yeah, okay. So yeah. that was cool. And yeah, and the bravado, I guess, of yeah, it. Yeah, but and, like and just the phrase fuck you, you you pissed off because your daddy gets more pussy than you. Like that. Yeah, okay. When yeah, you're twelve, right. that's funny. Yeah. So, all right. But, but whatever. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Um yeah, knocking on heaven's door. Guns and Roses yeah. knocked it absolutely completely out of the park. Full agree. Yeah. It was also, I don't know if you ever saw them live in concert. I went to the the GNR Metallica. Yeah. And I nearly I I missed that one because yeah, I, okay. I was I was within within very close distance of going to that one, but gotcha. but shit happened. I wasn't so able to. Headfield but. got burned in Montreal, uh and accidentally <laughs> yeah, I remember. burned off. Yeah. Um and caused a riot. Uh but then they because originally I believe Faith No More was supposed to open for them. Um, yeah. Midway through some uh that stopped and it or or that fell apart. I don't remember. Yeah. But then body count opened for them when yep. I saw them. 
Yeah. And we were in Oakland in, in 90, <laughs> 93. Yeah. Um, 92, 93. As, yeah. as my freshman year of high school. Um, but uh, the the cool thing about knocking on heaven's door is um, there's a part in the middle where they do a phone call. Yeah, 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 that, yeah, yeah. That I'm like, okay, you could have left that out. Yeah. But that part in the middle, it's just the same thing over and over again. Okay. And Axel found like a bullet on the stage and he's holding it up and they're all just talking and and he's like look at that and he gets them to zoom in on it and and it turned into a jam session for like 15 16 minutes oh wow but what was cool is it's absolutely a good call and response song so he's yeah. like here's what we're gonna do you know we got him doing this he's got doing that um i'm gonna sing one then you sing one and then he did that you know nice not nice. as cool as when tom petty did it with yeah Breakdown, well but nothing will ever be that cool yeah, but uh, but it was really cool. Like it, it yeah, just, yeah. and it lends itself nice. to that. And I think I don't think going at the speed that Bob Dylan went with it that you could have gotten that. Oh no, no. Yeah, a world of no. Um, in in relation to uh that that reminiscence, mm-hmm. um, I was actually kind of glad. Uh, I mean, now I'm not, but at the time, uh, my my buddy who went to the concert, mm-hmm. um. I, I kind of wrote off, well, you know, I didn't, you know, it, it doesn't sound like it was a great time. Um, number one, now as a 48 year old, uh, much less right winger uh, than I was at, you know, 18, um, I regret not being there to see uh, Body Count play Cop Killer in front of, in front of like half of the San Diego Police Department who were there providing security. So we had the Oakland PD who has a bit of a history of being problematic with black people. Yeah. And he basically, before he started the song, he went into, Ice-T did, he went into a, uh, by the way, their bass player wore a hockey mask and a parka. How cool is that? Like, yeah. Um, no, they were. He, it was an amazing group. Like, I wish into, they'd gotten more traction. He went into a, a diatribe against the police. He's like, yeah, some, some, some of the police have called us and said, we don't want to provide security for you. So see how you know basically little bitch boys they're being he says you know what i want everybody to do raise your finger in the air and give the chief the salute he says but a bunch of police did show up and all y'all motherfuckers are cool with me so everybody give them any flashes of peace sign he's like these guys are the real ones they're holding it down they're doing good things for us all right they're doing their jobs okay like so you know i'm not singing about you and then he nice. launches into cop killer. It was, nice. It was cool. yeah. yeah. No, um, they, the, 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 uh, San Diego police department, uh, sent him a formal letter before the concert. That is so San Diego demanding or well asking air mm-hmm. quotes that he not play that one. Wow. And, and yeah, he, he called that out. <laughs> Good. Um, but Good. so I, 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 number one, I, I wish I'd been there to witness that. Sure. Um, I wouldn't have appreciated it at 18, but 48 year old me would be like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, also uh, the San Diego concert was one of the occasions on which uh, Axel fucked off. Oh, really? And uh, the, the, because they were supposed to be taking turns, uh, you know, which band was coming out first, you know, oh, they, they had, they had, they had, they had the opener, Okay. And then, you know, it was supposed to be like, okay, on this date, it's going to be Guns N' Roses. Next concert will be Metallica first. Next one will be whatever, right? 
well um uh axel apparently you know flounced off in a fury about something gotcha because that was um the the documentary crew that mm-hmm. talked about it um or, yeah. and, and interviewed them all metallica was always second and oh, okay. lars lars talked about how um he really like at first he was a little upset. He's like, well, what the fuck are we getting, you know, second billing for? But he's like, honestly, it's kind of cool because we play during Twilight and like you, you look down to drum while it's still light up and then you look up and it's dark and you're like, oh, let's get it going. Um, And so they really liked yeah. being in that liminal spot. Um, okay. So that makes sense. Yeah. Well, so anyway, uh, there's, there's, I don't remember which recording it is, uh, but there is a concert recording that I mm-hmm. believe came from the San Diego concert where Hetfield says to the crowd, you wanted the best. Well, they didn't fucking make it. Ah. Uh, <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, it, 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 the concert was delayed by however fucking long because, you know, right. Axel was being a jackass. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 it is one of my, one of the few things I really regret about my adolescence was that I didn't manage to make it to that concert. Yeah, uh, when I so, saw it, Hetfield was still recovering. He still had the the full cover. Yeah, on his skin. yeah, yeah. And so the guitarist from Metal Church was playing his his part. Oh, cool. Did a fine job. Right. So yeah, nice. nice. It, honestly, it gave him a chance to kind of run around instead of being married yeah. to Mike. And uh, it was fun to yeah, yeah. kind of feeling that out. So, yeah. Well, cool. Uh, this will definitely not be the only one we do, but uh, I do encourage no. people to find us in the ways that you can. Uh, it, it, can people find you right now on any kind of social media or no? Because I'm not, uh, checking the not at the account. moment. Okay. No, I, I not not currently. Uh, okay. Um, I'm I'm gonna say you can find us. Um, for the moment. Uh, we still have a Twitter account at uh, Geek History Time on Twitter. Yeah, but I ain't checking uh, it. So if you and, check it, then they'll find you. But... Yeah, no, I I do. Okay. I do. Cool. I do. I, um, I, I go and I check it out. Yeah. Um, and uh, of course, our website is www.geekhistorytime.com. Uh, you have somehow found us because you're listening to us right now, uh, whether that's on our website or on uh, Stitcher or Spotify, or the Apple Podcast app. Mm-hmm. Wherever it is that you found us, please uh, take the time to give us a five-star review and hit the subscribe button if you haven't done it already. There you go. And is there any place, you anything you want to plug? Well, this, this will come out while we're on hiatus, so if you see me in the local comedy scene doing open mics, cool, but uh, Capital Punishment okay. is on hiatus for a bit. Uh, we'll be back likely in the spring. Uh, okay. New, new, new us. Uh, you know, watch our spaces for that. Um, yeah. But if you want to suggest um, covers that were better than their originals to me, you can find me on Threads um, at Da Harmony. So that's probably the best place to find me is on Threads. Okay. Da Harmony. So yeah, and and yeah, if if you recognize we got more in the hopper, but yeah. always happy to take suggestions. Um, yeah. uh, on yeah. things like this because it gets me listening to music, which is something I should probably do more of. So, all right, cool. I can well, see that. For a geeky history of time, I am Damien Harmony, and I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, keep rolling twenties. <laughs>